This is the Sermon Podcast of Lord of Life Lutheran Church in Columbus, Ohio, where we proclaim God's extravagant grace, radical inclusion, and relentless compassion. Join us for worship Sundays at 8 a.m., 9 a.m., or 11.15 a.m. For more information, please visit our website at www.acceptingall.com. Second reading is from Galatians, the third chapter, and is the text of today's sermon. Now, before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law that was our disciplinarian until Christ came, so that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. As many of you as were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Holy wisdom, holy word. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the eighth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Then Jesus and his disciples arrived at the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. And he stepped out on land. A man of the city who had demons met him. For a long time, this man had worn no clothes. He didn't live in a house. He lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he fell down before him and shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me, for Jesus had already commanded the unclean spirit to come out. Many times the spirit had seized the man. He was kept under guard. He was bound with chains and shackles. He'd break the bonds and he'd be driven by the demon out into the wilds. So Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion. Or many demons had entered him, and they begged him not to order them to go back into the abyss. Now there on the hillside, a large herd of swine were feeding, and the demons begged Jesus to let him enter these. So Jesus gave them permission, and the demons came out of the man and entered the swine, and then the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When the swine herders saw what had happened, They ran off and told it in the city and in the country, and people came out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had been gone, sitting now at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the one who had been possessed by the demons had been healed, and all of the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave. For they were seized with great fear. So Jesus got into the boat and returned. And the man from whom the demons had gone begged Jesus that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. So he went away, proclaiming throughout the city how much Jesus had done for him. The Gospel of the Lord. Grace and peace be yours through Jesus the Christ. Amen. We have a lot of guests today. We are uh, 
spending seven weeks with Paul's letter to the Galatians, seven weeks on six chapters, and frankly, by good fortune, our third chapter reading fits into the circumstances of our lives uh, post-Orlando this week. Um, Once upon a time, a long, long time ago, there was a beautiful princess who was held captive in a castle by a, a wicked old witch, and the, the wicked old witch broke the mirrors in the castle. And every day the witch would say to the beautiful princess, you know, you're not pretty. You're actually pretty ugly. And since there weren't any mirrors, and she could never see herself the way she really was, which is a beautiful princess, she believed her. Well, one day... Prince Charming comes riding by. Let me stop. It's Pride Weekend. It could easily be Princess Charming. Let's not get too excited here. Okay. And I don't even like the whole white horse thing. And I get a little upset even about the wicked old witch. Where are the guys in these situations? But it's not my story. Just as she is looking out the window, they see each other. It's love at first sight. And as she gazes into his eyes, she can see her reflection in his eyes And she sees a beautiful princess. And poof, she's free. And they live happily ever after. Now, I said I didn't write that story. It comes from a great book, James Moore, Some Things Are Too Good Not To Be True. It's a series of fable tales from about 2006, still not quite where we are a decade later. I didn't write it, but I love it. And I, I heard that the first time during some personal counseling on family systems. And basically that's a fancy word of saying the crap that happens in your family shapes you. Paul says to the Christians in our second reading in Galatia, it is the law that has told you you are ugly. We were imprisoned, he says. We were guarded under the law until faith came to be revealed. Earlier in the second chapter, he said that the law is actually a curse. Under the curse of the law, we've all been told that we are not beautiful. We are failures. We are ugly. And I'll make sure you get that because it's a dangerous place in the church today. There's nobody that can keep the law. Nobody. Nobody can keep all the law. There's nobody that's perfect. There's not one of us that can fulfill the whole requirement of the law. It is an unattainable, impossible standard. And none of us matches up to that. Even if we could do some of it, even if we could do most of it, our pride would take us down. Because this is what it would sound like. Well, I can't do it all, but I I do more than they do. So it's really a lose-lose situation. And Paul says that we're imprisoned by the law, that the law is a wicked witch who tells us that we're ugly. Imagine, and for some of you it might not be too hard, you have a parent who on the one hand is a perfectionist, wants the best for you, wants to push you, wants you to learn industrious ethics, but on the other hand is somewhat distant and aloof and not able to share emotion. Some of you get that. That's part of what we deal with on Father's Day and we deal with on Mother's Day as well. A parent that you want to satisfy, but you can't. Nothing you ever seem to do is quite enough It's like all the mirrors have been removed in your life, and you grow up thinking that you're less than beautiful. No one's ever called you ugly, but you're less than beautiful. And you have that feeling deep inside that you're not 
acceptable to those who are supposed to love you the most. That got far too real for me this past weekend. Um, How exactly can someone's child, especially someone who has dealt with some mental health issues, who discovers along the way that they are gay or lesbian or bisexual, and rather than a loving, supportive, celebratory parent, how will that person process a parent who who doesn't advocate killing people, but teaches that that queer folk are less than God's children and that someday God's going to kill them all? What kind of self-loathing and what kind of scapegoating would that person carry? And who exactly would they take it out on in their life? Here's an example I hope is a little less stinging, but maybe not. Michael Reagan, oldest son of President Reagan, wrote that in 1967, he and Bill and Rudy won the World Outboard Power Championship. The world. It was a really big deal, and he said, I was ecstatic. Every newspaper said, Reagan's son wins world championship. And he writes in his biography that I was certain that when Dad read about it in the papers, he would say, doggone it, Mike, you're the world champion. You finally found your niche. And he or Nancy or Mom would welcome me with open arms. And I never heard from them. I realized, he says, with despair, that no matter what I did, probably wasn't going to be enough. That's how Paul feels growing up under the law. He knew the law. He studied the law. The law was precious. He taught the law. But he says it made me feel like I was in prison, unloved, unfulfilled, under a curse. And instead of making him more loving and more accepting, the law filled Paul with a kind of self-righteousness. Look how much I've done and a kind of resentment that why can't I do it more? which in turn then gave him permission to demean others and bully others and persecute others, eventually dragging them out into the streets in Jerusalem and stoning them. Let me bring that forward. Hashtag, we are Jerusalem. That's what happens whenever legalism takes over. But then something happens to Paul that makes him realize that that he's not a failure and that he's not a loser, and he's not ugly. We read about it two weeks ago. He experiences something on the road of Damascus where he comes eye to eye with the risen Lord Jesus. Paul writes today, but now faith has come, and we are no longer under a disciplinarian. The word in Greek is pedagogic. A wicked witch, an aloof parent, a misguided institution. Your children have teachers, your slaves have pedagogues. For Christ. In Christ, we've all become children of God, however. Now, let me make sure you heard what Paul's saying, because it's really important to me. And if we, if we don't do anything else on Father's Day, and if we don't do anything else on Pride Weekend, and if we don't do anything else after yet another undoubtedly hate crime, irrationally fueled by nationalism and religion and prejudice, on the week after the worst mass shooting, not only in your life and in your children's life, but in the life of this nation, we have to hear this. We are all children of God. All of us. We're not losers. We're not unlovable. We're not ugly. In Christ, we're all beautiful. And you and the 
person next to you and everyone you know are in fact a beloved child of God. Here's the way Glennon Doyle Melton said it in her blog, Mommastery, this week. She said, if I want my children to embrace other children for who they are, to treat other children with dignity and respect that every child deserves, then I'd better treat other adults that way. And I'd better make sure that my children know beyond a shadow of a doubt that in God's eyes and in their father and my eyes that they are loved, that they are without a single unless you do this loved. You might figure out that I often preach more from my head, but it has been a week trying to process this stuff for me, and it's been pretty challenging. So I've just been reading all the great feel-good things I can. Um, here's, here's a story for you. I just couldn't stop. Uh, Antonio Sanchez, uh, uh, Tony, um, now Dr. Antonio Sanchez, uh, was five years old when he went to prison. In Mexico, his drug-addled parents uh, disappeared after telling the police that he was the one that killed his baby brother. Went to jail in Mexico. And Carolyn Coons, psychology professor, uh, evangelical Pentecostal at Azusa Pacific, heard this story, went to Mexico, and adopted him at age 12. He um, spent the majority of his life in prison. I want to make sure you hear that again. More than half your life at age 12 in prison. And nothing was normal in their house when she brought him home. Nothing. Began with stealing bread to take to bed with him because he was afraid he wasn't going to have any in the morning. And um, nothing was normal. So at the worst, there was no bond that was happening between them. And she would say, I love you. And he would taunt her with, you'll never be my parent. Um, she never stopped making what turned out to be his favorite, Sloppy Joe's, made them five nights a week. Never stopped hugging him, though he didn't hug back when he went to bed. Never stopped telling him how much she loved him. How hard, how bad was it that a professional psychologist began the process to annul the adoption already? And then, a poof moment. Um, in order to graduate from a special needs middle school class, uh, every student had to give a speech. Reminds me of our confirmation program. And at one point in the speech, somewhat obligatory, and you can picture a teacher helping him write it, he says, and I also want to thank my mom for adopting me and bringing me to the United States. And at that moment, it just erupts out of his soul and he starts to cry. And he says, I love you, mom. It's the most fundamental need that any of us has. Something or someone has told us that we're not acceptable and we're not lovable and we're not worthy. In Paul's case, and probably yours, it was the law. And what we need more than anything in the world is to look into the eyes of Jesus and see the reflection of who we really are, to see ourselves as we really are. Listen to Paul again. But now that faith has come, we no longer live under the disciplinarian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. For as many of you as baptized in Christ, you you have put on Christ. There's no longer Jew or Greek or slave or free or male or female. You are all one in Christ. I want to be very clear about this today because it's, it's possible... The world is very good at this. It's possible to take the most purest moment of grace and turn it into law. 
This is not a sermon on self-esteem. This is not a sermon, go home and feel good about yourself. This is not me saying, uh, believe in yourself, because frankly, you're not going to be able to do that. And this is not a sermon to say, go every day of the discipline, look in the mirror and tell yourself you're beautiful, because that ain't going to work either. I'm telling you to look into the eyes of God, a God who took the blame of the whole world, who was brutally and senselessly murdered by the keepers of the law, both church and state. And when it changes, when poof, when he comes out of the grave, out of the grave, the first thing he says to them is, peace be with you. He does not say, let's round up the bastards who did this. I'm telling you that if you look into the eyes of Jesus, and when you do, you will see yourself as you cannot see yourself. You will see yourself in the reflection of Jesus as you really are. And at that moment, when you see it, I I don't know how... I can convince anyone anymore of this. You're not going to see Jew or Greek. You're not going to see slave or free or male or female or employed or unemployed. You're not going to see what shade of black or brown or pink you are. You're not going to see liberal or conservative or young or old or gay or straight or bi or trans or questioning. You're not going to see blue collar, white collar, single, married, divorced, rich or poor, illegal, standing on top of Plymouth Rock. You're not going to see silver spoon, nose spoon. You're not going to see any of that. When you look at Jesus and you see yourself as you really are, you're going to see a beautiful and beloved child of God. Robert Schuller once said, of all the tragedies in life, the greatest tragedy is for a person to live and die and never realize who they really are. want to have a little quiz, a little nervous about this, uh, Lord of Life Church. We have this thing called a mission statement. We felt so strongly about it in 2004, we engraved it on a rock and put it out front of the church. So when you walk into church, can't miss it. Cost us $310 to do that, by the way. <laughs> the rock was free. We found it underneath the parking lot. <laughs> Audience participation. What is the mission of this church? I want you to hear this. We have more visitors at this service, and this service got it the best of all. So thank you for that. Just thank you for that. Uh, to reach out. Reach out with the love of Christ. This is what our mission statement is not. Sit inside this building, and people like us can come, and we'll tell them they're welcome. That is not our mission. Our mission is to reach out with the love of Christ to our dear sisters and brothers who just don't know how beautiful they are in the eyes of God. And here's how we do that. Everybody does it a little different, but here's how we do it. We, we do it with some water. And we do it with word, and we do it with some bread, and we do it with some wine. We do it at a table that's big enough for everyone you know. We do it with the same extravagant, radical, relentless love that God throws on top of us. We don't hire someone to do it. We don't do it for an hour a week or two hours a week or every other week. And we all are expected to be growing and to maturing as disciples and to to reach out with what we've received to the world in love. This church exists to reflect back your real reflection that you are a beloved child of God. You and 
every single person you're going to meet this week are God's beloved children. Amen.